I was, I was getting untangled and I still felt like I was tangled. So anyway, here we go. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody today? Everybody's good. Awesome. I am very sore. I played dodgeball like I was 12 last night. Um, more stories to come about that later. Um, so if you see me doing some of this, it's not because I'm trying to flex, it's because I'm trying to move. Um, so last week we covered all of chapter 11, which is not like us, but we did. Um, and we discussed what, not only what it means to have faith, but we also started looking at specifically what it means to live in faith. And we're going to dive a little deeper into that today, as, as I mentioned we would last week. But I want to remind us, we see two major things from all of the testimonies that are offered up in Hebrews chapter 11. First, that our faith must be put into action. It's the action that is communicated. Faith was the basis of it, but it's because they acted in faith that we have that cloud of testimonies as it refers to it in Hebrews chapter 11. We can say that we have faith in God and we want to be obedient in Him. Um, When we say that, we are committing ourselves to action. It's not just enough to say, yes, I believe in God or yes, I have faith in God, if that doesn't also inform how we live our lives. It's through those actions that our faith is revealed. That's how we grow, um, is by stepping out in faith. And today, there's a lot of themes that are happening. And I hope that I can do a good job of tying together all the things that the Lord's already spoken. But just be aware from the very beginning with the kids' message today, talking about how God speaks through the testimonies that were shared today, that God God is trying to get our attention on something. The second thing we talked about last week is that we need to learn from the testimonies offered up that we won't always see the results of our faith. And I talked about last week how that's a really difficult one for us often because we're used to instant gratification. We're used to clicking a button and the thing happening very quickly. You know, like you you think about the new phones that come out and how, you know, they always say they're 30% faster than last year's model. But honestly, if you got the, the 11 and you go to the 13, do you really notice a difference? No. Not really. Is it faster? Maybe. I don't know. They don't really give you any metrics. Um, but we're used to things happening quickly, but often what we realize as we're walking out our, our, our journey with the Lord is that things don't happen as quickly as we often would like them to. And we talked about last week how, you know, God is an infinite being and we live within a timeline and just because we don't see the results of what God asks us to do doesn't mean that it's not going to come to fruition. It may just be after we're gone, Right. So we got to get out of the mindset of just because God told me to do this, I'm going to see the results right away. Sometimes we do, and those are awesome, but sometimes we don't, and we don't need to let the enemy tell us, like I was talking about with, with the Renards, because the enemy will do that. He'll come in and say, yeah, you thought you heard God, but look, your life's falling apart. Obviously, you didn't hear from him, and that's just not true. So we got to get out of that mindset that if we don't see the results right away, that we did something wrong. Often God is using us in a way that is far outreaches what we can see or perceive. As we move into chapter 12 today, we're going to be called back to these testimonies as a reminder of what faith looks like in the lives of believers. It's good for the church to look back at what God has done in the lives of his people as they have chosen to obey. It's a good exercise for you. It's a good exercise for me. It was a good exercise for the people that this letter was written to. That's why we always put such an emphasis here in our church about sharing what God is doing in our lives because it changes the way we see God, right? When we begin to hear testimonies of God speaking into people's lives, of God um, providing when, when provision is needed, when we hear those things, it, it makes God personal. And it helps us to see that if God can work in somebody else's life, then he can also work in mine. That's why we've always talked about that so much. There was a time in my ministry when I would open every Bible study with the question, where have you seen God this week? 
<laughs> Kyle remembers. And the reason that we did that was twofold. One, it helps new or non-believers see that God's alive and He's active in our lives. And secondly, it reminds us to be watching for God's activity in your life. If, if every week you got to Bible study knowing that Will's going to open up with, where did you see God this week? Guess what you're doing all the six days prior to that? You're looking for God's activity. And that was intentional. But we got to keep ourselves in that same mindset of, what's God doing around me? Because we don't want to miss it. This whole study of Hebrews is to let us see that we aren't the only ones that have times of difficulty in our faith. And that one of the primary tools that we have to battle the discouragement that can accompany those struggles is sharing the stories of what God's doing in our life. That's why we've taken so much time over the last year to share our stories. It's to encourage one another. It's to remind one another that God is active, that He is, he is working. And how exciting is it when you've been praying for like the Renards, for them to find the perfect house. And then they do. And they've been praying to find a church. And it's right across the street, which is a big deal in a city like Fort Worth, from a church where Bethany's been visiting for six months and knows some of the staff there well. Man, that's just cool. That's God doing what God does. So all of us need to continue to look for God's activity and then share that with the people around us. That's one of the many, many of the, one of many ways that we can bring our faith to action is just simply by sharing what God's doing in your life. As I said last week, we're going to get into that a little bit more today. So look with me at the first two verses of chapter 12, uh, and let's look at what the author has to say next after this, this cloud or, or group of testimonies. He says, therefore, since we have um, such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I, I've shared some of this testimony with you guys before, but I went to a couple of different churches uh, when I was growing up. And then when I was uh, 18, I began my first internship in one of the churches that I'd grown up with. And I've served on many different churches and staff. And I don't know what your experience was, but as a young man, it appeared to me that being a Christian just meant going to church, right? It meant going on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, we had youth group, and then they had the old people service where we sang out the brown hymnal instead of the red hymnal. Um, and then on Wednesday nights, we had youth group. And for me, that's what the Christian life was. That's all I'd ever known. And so the assumption was, because that's what everybody else was doing, that if I just went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, that I was being all that God wanted me to be. Don't get me wrong, we need to go to church, we need to do all of those things, but as I was growing up, as I was beginning my own ministry, it made me do a lot of looking at my own faith journey. As I began to go to college, and, and during this internship, there was a lot of studying that I did about ministry and how it works, I began to see that there might be a little bit more to this than just going to church. My family did a great job um, as we were growing up of getting us to church on a regular basis, and it was odd for us to not be there. Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights, we were at church participating in those activities. But as I began to, to work on staff, I began to realize how much was happening behind the scenes that I never knew about. But at the same time, I was learning what it meant to be on staff. I was also beginning to really grow spiritually in a way that I had not grown before. 
And as I read Scripture, as I studied um, in school, as I began to read about the early church and looking at church models, I began to realize that there was something missing from just the normal activities, the normal programs. And it wasn't that the programs weren't good. It's not that the church services weren't well-planned and executed. People were pretty friendly for the most part unless you sat in their pew and then they were quick to not be friendly and let you know that you were in their seat. True story. Um, It took a while for me to really pin down what it was. But finally I realized, as far as I could tell, my faith and those that I were close to happened on Sundays and Wednesdays. And that was kind of it. The rest of the week, I and they were different people than we were when we were there on Sundays and on Wednesdays. I don't say that to belittle anyone. I was right there in the middle of that. Um, And the chances are that many of you have had similar experiences, that you grew up and it was just about going to church and doing the church things while you were there. But when I read things like we read just a moment ago about living with endurance, it didn't add up. In this text, the author uses this metaphor of running. Uh, and I have a little bit of experience in that area. And I'll tell you, um, my, my Sundays and my Wednesdays did not look or feel anything like a marathon, right? Because when we read this verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. When I read that in my mind, I'm seeing marathons and ultra marathons where, because you don't need a whole lot of endurance to run a mile or maybe two and a half miles. But you start getting to that 10 mile mark or 20 mile mark or 30 mile mark, there's some endurance that is required there. Right, Craig? Yes, sir. Okay. I can't reach any of those big numbers I just said. I could probably do about a mile. Okay. But as I, as I thought back, and I thought back to my early relationship with the church and with God there was no endurance that was required for that it was just a thing on my list of things to do I realized the question that was rolling around in my head all those times all those all those years was what does a life of faith really look like is this it is it just attendance at church were Sundays and Wednesdays all that Jesus died for obviously the answer to that's no right As we think back to that crowd of witnesses that we see in chapter 11, what do we see? We see stories of people whose lives had been laid out on the line in order to walk with God. As David Platt would say, they wrote the blank check. Point point number one today is a life of faith places all that one has in the hands of God. Think back with me to to Abraham's life. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is one in chapter 11 that is called out. This is what happened in Abram's life. It said, God said to, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God wasn't asking Abram for Sundays and Wednesdays, right? What did he ask him for? His life. Leave everything you know And go to this place that's unknown. Go to this place that I'm telling you about. Abram trusted God and he left his family and he left his homeland to go and find this promised place. When I read things like that, my two days a week at church seem a little trivial, right? That's not nearly as big a deal as leave everything and everyone you've ever known and go by yourself over here. As we're thinking about how we want to spend the next year, that's the phase of life that we're in right now. It's what we do every year. 
I believe the Lord's challenging us to consider how we spend our time. Okay, and hear me out on this. There's some interesting language in the first verse of Hebrews 12 that carries that challenge. I read it the second time in the NLT because it's a little easier to see that. He says in the second half of that verse, and if you wouldn't mind putting it back up there, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Ironically, that's why I started running, right? To slip off a little weight, okay? The words that are translated here as weight that slows us down means either bulk or impediment, okay? So we're being challenged to look at our lives and remove anything that's preventing us from living out our faith. Thinking in terms of the running metaphor, it can mean a couple of things. One, literally to lose extra weight that's slowing you down, which for me is right around here. Or it could, I don't know if y'all have ever seen this, people that exercise by running with sleds. Have you seen that with weights on them? If you're CrossFit, you've seen that before. That's kind of the, the image that I'm getting as I read that, is to take off those weights that are slowing you down, that are keeping you from being able to run with endurance. Two, it can also refer to hiking up your robes that were worn by men and women below the knees and, and therefore would hinder your ability to run. Like think about choir robe. That's an easy one for us to picture, right? Imagine trying to run in that. It trips you all up. I've never worn a dress. Um, yeah, I've never worn a dress. I had to think about that for a minute. I've done some crazy stuff. But ladies, it's probably hard to run in a dress, right? Yeah. And so that, that phrase of, that's translated as slow us down can either mean get rid of the extra weight or hike up your skirt. Either one. The idea there is for us to hike up the robes um, and that way we're not hindered in our ability to run. Either way you look at it, the sentiment's the same. Get rid of what's holding you back. That's our challenge, is to look at our lives right now and say, what's holding me back from being able to do what God's called me to do? I appreciate Kara's testimony this morning. How perfect was that? Because how many of us are guilty of getting lost in the social media scroll feed? Big time right here, right? And how often do I do that? Pretty often. Pretty often. And that's just a small thing that we can all kind of chuckle and go, yeah, I get lost in the feed. But that's the kind of stuff that that we're talking about here is what is it that's taking your time away from the Lord? And I, let, me, let me say this too. When we take the time to really ask God what's in our lives that's holding us back, it's incredibly freeing. And I'll give you an example. Many of you guys know this about me. For years on Saturday mornings, I went to a farmer's market. I sold chickens that Bethy and I raised, and I sold beef that my dad was raising. And it was a lot of fun. I would get up early, be at the farmer's market out at Inglewood at 8.30 in the morning and set up our, our stuff and we'd sell beef and chicken and eat a lot of meat pies and a lot of other good food that was there and then we'd pack up and I'd get home around 1.30 or 2 o'clock every Saturday and I did that every weekend and it was a lot of fun and I was making money. When you can have fun and make money at the same time, that's a pretty good deal, okay? And I made lots of great relationships and I had a lot of good friends out there. And one of the things that was really cool is that God told me to do that. And that's exciting when God tells you to do something that's really fun and you can also make money at it. Like, you can't go wrong with that, right? That's a good deal. Well, then, that had been going for a couple of years, and God had been speaking to me about being pastor here. And then, as God was speaking to Glenn that it was time for him to go and help launch a new church, it kind of got real all of a sudden of, oh, I'm really, okay, and so I had to go, okay, God, based on all the things that I'm doing right now, I can't also pastor a church. And so I asked God, what am I doing right now that I shouldn't be doing? And guess what he told me to quit doing? The farmer's market. 
But he had told me to do that before. But that's okay. He changed what needed to happen in my life so that I could be obedient to him so that I would have the time in my schedule to do what he was asking me to do. That's a good reminder for us today because just because God spoke something in the past doesn't mean that we just keep doing it mindlessly. It's good to regularly check back and the first part of the year is a great time to do that. We had this discussion last year with our life group leaders of saying, uh, our life group leaders in host homes, uh, is God still calling you to do this? If he is, fantastic. If he's not, this is the time to have that conversation. But all of that happened in my life so that I could learn how to be a pastor. God needed that Saturday for me to figure that out, for, for me to prepare. So he told me to stop, and, he, and I did. And if you'd asked me during that time in my life if I would ever give up the farmer's markets, I probably would have told you no, because like I said, it was fun, and I was making money at the same time. But because I asked God, and then I did what he told me, guess what? Now I get to sleep in some days on Saturdays, and I really like that. Guess what else I get to do? My kids love, what do we call it, a big breakfast, right? And a lot of Saturdays, we cook a big breakfast. We're talking about biscuits, fried eggs, bacon, hash browns, the works. Now you're hungry, you're welcome, okay? But I get to do that now, and I didn't get to do that before. I also get to spend typically a whole day. I, I will work on my sermons on Saturdays, but it's kind of intermixed between other activities. And I love that I get to have that time with my family, and I didn't get to have that before. And I wouldn't have had that if I would have continued to try to do the farmer's market thing and not ask God if there's something that I shouldn't be doing in my life. The only reason I get those blessings is because I asked God what to do and then I did what he said. And this is God's desire for all of us, for us to ask him and then to do what he asks us to do. In the same part of that verse, the author also mentions um, ridding ourselves of sin that holds us back. And this is also a great time of the year to let God speak into that sin that's in your life. All of us struggle with that. Not only will you experience freedom, but you're also going to get to see God work in a way that he hasn't worked before because he's going he's to help you with that. And if you'd seen that before, you probably wouldn't still be struggling, right? But we need to remember that to ask God to have legitimate conversations, purposeful conversations about the sin that we're struggling with so that he can speak into that. As I said a few weeks ago, God's desire is for us to know him as well as he knows us. Jesus experienced all the same temptations that you experience, and he's already defeated all of those temptations. And he can help you to do that if you'll give him the opportunity. He offers that same victory in our lives if we'll allow him to work. It may be time for you to trim a little fat or to hike up your skirt so you can run the race that God has set before you. That's the idea that the author is trying to, he's, he gives this crowd of, of witnesses, all of these testimonies of faith to encourage the church and say, now is the time. Here's all these people that have walked in faith and now it's your turn to be the one that's walking in faith. Look at the end of verse one. He says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Listen, I happen to know several people in this room that are quite competitive, Okay. And I am guilty as charged. In fact, yesterday we were playing indoor soccer at my niece's birthday party and I slammed my own dad into the wall, my 62-year-old dad, into the wall while we were playing soccer and had to pick him up off the floor. I'm not proud of it, okay? I actually was a little embarrassed when it happens. But it helps make this point. And I bring that out because if you look in your, in your Bible, there's a reference there at the end of verse 1 to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And it says, don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way 
to win the prize. I was determined to get that goal last night when I was playing soccer, right? But here's the idea, that as we are going forth in our faith journey, we do it like a runner who intends to run the race and to win the race. We're being encouraged not only to go about our lives, to not go about our lives uh, of faith aimlessly, but to pursue with the same vigor and discipline that a person who runs and is trying to win. That's how we approach our relationship with God. Not with nonchalantness and I'll get to it when I get to it, but being disciplined, pursuing the Lord. In order to win, we must train, we must work hard, we must go the extra mile, and we must strive to be the best. But how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 2 in Hebrews 12. He says, keeping your eyes on Jesus. We run with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's a good idea, right? You've heard of getting a mentor. You go and find somebody who's better at the thing that you want to do and get them to teach you. That's what we have in Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who, who went the, the distance on our behalf. We keep our focus on the one thing in life that really matters, and that's Jesus. We let our desire to love him to be the motivator for everything that we do. I'll tell you, there's a number of people in our congregation. Y'all probably know some of these people and who they are. I know you know them. We know everybody here. But they work tirelessly in the call that God has for them. Not for their own glory because they don't want people to know. Not because they feel obligated to. Not because they fear being chastised if they don't. They regularly give their all so that God can accomplish His goals in the life of this body. Their pursuit of God and their relentless love for people motivate them to give all for the sake of the gospel. That's what God's calling us to. As I, as I was studying the scripture this week, and I was thinking about you guys, I am, I'm regularly blown away with your commitment to the Lord and to your faith. But for all of us, there's room for improvement, right? I've never been involved in a church like this where so many people cared so much about the ministry that God had called them to. And I can't say thank you guys enough for that because it makes my job really, really easy and a whole lot of fun. But all of us have room to grow. All of us are still in pursuit of being like Christ. And so I want us to encourage one another. I want you to feel encouraged this morning. I want to be encouraged that there's more that we can do. There's more that we can learn about who God is. There's more love that we can share with the people around us if we will give God the opportunity to do that in our lives. If we can keep our eyes on the prize, if we can stay focused on what God is asking us to do, there won't be any needs in our body that aren't being met. And we'll not only be meeting the, meeting the needs of our body, but also the communities around us, whether it's this community right here in McKithen Drive, or the communities around where your life group meets, or the communities around where you live. God wants to give us more and more opportunities to share his love. Because Think about it, guys. Think about the times where the Lord has really done something cool in your life and in the life of, of somebody that, that doesn't know him. And think about how good that feels, to know that you have impacted somebody's life in a way that will change it, to love a kid or to love an adult in such a way that you know that for the rest of their life, they're going to remember that moment. They're going to remember that, that week, that year, whatever it was. All of that, all of that is about the glory of God. It's about helping people to see who God is. The author of Hebrews is saying that if we're going to fulfill our calling, we must run the race with focus and dedication. 
And why would we do that? Why would we lay everything down as he's calling us to? For the same reason that Jesus did. Point number two for today was that we place our lives at Jesus' feet so that we can experience joy. The joy that comes from only knowing the Father now and living it with him when we go to heaven. The second half of verse 2 said, For the joy that lay before him, for the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think with me about this for a moment. Jesus suffered the cross because he knew of the joy that was coming after that suffering. He was willing to lay it all down for the joy of obeying the Father and joining the Father in heaven. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I compare the sacrifices that I've made in my life or the struggles that I've endured with what Jesus did on the cross, I'm a bit humbled at Jesus' willingness, right? To lay it all on the line, to literally put his life on the line. One of the commentators I was reading this week talked about the physical thing that happened to the body during the crucifixion. And I kind of knew some of this, but it was just kind of refreshing to hear somebody else say it. But I don't know if y'all know this, but the cross was purposely and intentionally designed to be as painful as possible while keeping the victim alive as long as possible. It was literally torture. That's why they did it. There was time spent considering how to make it more painful and yet keep the person alive even longer. The punishment was also designed to be shameful as well, to bring shame upon the people that were being crucified. That was reserved for the lowest of the low, for the worst criminals. And Jesus willingly took that punishment and the shame that we deserve, and he put it upon himself. And not only did he offer himself up, but he took the instrument of shame, he took the cross, and he turned it into glory. When those men were hung on the cross, the intention was for there to be great shame. And Jesus flipped that on them. Those that called for his crucifixion wanted to humiliate Jesus as much as possible. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees were leading that march yelling crucify him because they were jealous of the fact that Jesus had the the people's attention now instead of them they were jealous about what was happening in the lives of the people because they couldn't do that and so they're wanting to bring shame upon Jesus and and make his name little and so they put him on the cross and he turned it into glory he endured in obedience and his life revealed the love of the father for his people as people saw him, as I think about, as you think about Jesus hanging on the cross, we don't see shame, do we? We see love. It's incredible. God had done what he promised he would do. We've been talking about this for years, that, that one day God would send someone who could crush the serpent's head. And in that moment, when Jesus died, the serpent's head was crushed. The power of sin was destroyed. He redeemed mankind and made it possible for us to not only know God, but to now have God living inside of us. That separation that existed for so long was gone because Jesus endured. And he's the one, I'm talking about all that because he's the one that we're supposed to be focusing on. He's the one that we're thinking about when we think about endurance. As we place our lives in God's hand, trusting him as he guides our lives, we have the joy and the comfort that comes from having a holy God live inside of us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and our willingness to walk in obedience, God will reveal his love for his people around us. 
Because I've talked today about endurance. I've talked about working hard, right? Being diligent, being disciplined, training ourselves for this race. What we have to understand is that's not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Y'all know what that means? Okay, where you like literally like pull yourself up. Okay, all right. I said it and then I was like, I don't even know if people know what that means anymore. It's kind of a cowboy thing. But that's not about us accomplishing that work on our own. It's about us saying yes to God, just like Abraham. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't know how long it was going to take. All he knew was that God said go and he said yes. And that's what God's asking of us. And I know that that seems scary, but it's actually freeing. The strength, the endurance, the wisdom that we need in order to run the race that's set before us is found in Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We can try, and what happens is, before long, you get burned out. I've seen it too many times. Some of you in this room have experienced that before, where you're doing it because you feel obligated because somebody said you had to, and then before long, you're going, why am I doing this? And you're exhausted by it. We're not called to be busybodies. God doesn't desire for us to just do a lot of stuff. He wants our hearts, and when we give it to him, he changes us. He makes us like himself. And when we begin to see the world the way that he does, we begin to see the areas in our lives. Ministry literally means to meet needs. And when Jesus begins to work in us, as we grow spiritually, as we become more like him, we begin to see the needs around us that we didn't even notice before. And as we see those needs, God begins to speak and say, hey, Will, that need right there, that one's for you. Go take care of that. Here's how I want you to do it. We go through new member training. We talk about grassroots ministry, about how we don't have a top-down structure where I come to you and say, Kyle, you're doing this. Kyle comes to me and says, this is what God's speaking. And I say, okay, great. How can I help you? How can I empower you to do that? That's why we have that structure. It's what we see in Scripture. God speaks to us. He reveals needs to us. And he says, hey, this one is for you. Go take care of this. Our lives are transformed from being people who, who stop chasing temporary things and begin running like people who are chasing eternal things. We get endurance. We pursue what matters. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 through 6, we see this example of this guy Enoch. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't know much about Enoch. But the truth is, nobody really knows much about Enoch. Um, I'm going to read it in a minute. You're going to go, oh yeah, I remember that guy. I even called Russ, or I texted or emailed him and said, hey, I'm, we're going through the book of Hebrews. There's this guy, Enoch, and all it really says is that he didn't die. God took him to heaven. What do you know about him? He's like, that's it. That's all we know. Look at this with me. Hebrews 11, verse 5 through 6. This is by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewarded those who seek him. So we don't know much about Enoch, but here it is. Out of all these examples of, of men and women that are faithful, he's the only one that's listed that says he was taken straight to heaven, that he didn't die. It says in verse 5 that he was approved as one who pleased God. And isn't that our goal? Isn't our goal to be pleasing to God? So how did Enoch do it? Enoch pleased God because he was faithful and he let that faith draw him near to God. I mention that at the end of this message because I want this to be a litmus test for all of us. That as we're looking at our own lives, if we're saying, God, what is it that I should be doing that I'm not doing? And what is it that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? 
The litmus test for all of that is, is it drawing me to God? Because if you're doing something and it's pushing you further away from God, that's a red flag that you shouldn't be doing it. I'm not talking about just sinful stuff. I'm talking about good stuff. I'm talking about doing ministry stuff because often we'll just keep doing it because God said we should at some point in the past and we've never readdressed it with him again. I want us to understand, and y'all probably don't hear pastors say stuff like that very often, but I'm saying that because I'm not concerned so much with are you doing something as I am in are you doing what God asked you to do. That's the most important thing. And if all of us are doing that, the needs are going to get met. That's the really cool part about this. I don't have to be scared that everybody's going to quit doing what they've been doing. Because I know that God is faithful. And if all of us will obey the call that he has for us, all the needs are going to be taken care of. If we're really walking in faith, the result of that faith, whether life is easy or hard, is going to be that we are drawn to God. And that may seem counterintuitive, but I guarantee you that if you ask someone who's been following Jesus for any significant amount of time, they will tell you that the times that were the hardest were the times that they were the closest to God. Because when life gets really hard, we run to Him. And we really begin to listen and pay attention to what He's saying. And God reveals Himself through those times. Regardless of how easy or difficult life is, if you're being drawn closer to God, you're on the right track. That's where I want to end today. If whatever you're doing, whatever you feel like your ministry is, if that's pulling you closer to God, keep going. But if you find that it's putting a wall between you and God, you need to address it with Him. Place your life at His feet. Let Him call the shots. And put everything before Him. Write the blank check. Say, God, here's my life. Here's all the stuff that I'm doing. What would you have me do different? And then listen to what He tells you. The only way we can live with an endurance only way we can run the race with endurance is to trust Jesus and to do what he says to do because he's going to be the one that sustains us, not our bodies. He's our motivation. He's our strength. Let's pray. Jesus, in my own life, I know that there are often times where I get distracted by things that just don't matter. Father, this week for myself and for my, my fellow believers in this room, Father, I ask that you would give us clarity about the things that are really important, the things that you are calling us to do. Father, if there are things in our lives that are distracting us from you, whether they're good or bad, Father, I ask that you would address those. Help us to see it. Help us to hear your voice clearly. I love the testimony that has come through all the songs this morning and even the kids' stuff. That, Father, if we will seek you, if we will knock, you'll answer the door. You'll reveal what we need to hear. God, I'm so thankful for that. Father, I ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would continue to draw us to yourself. Reveal yourself to us. Show us the needs that are around us. And speak clearly which ones are ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.